Welcome to Broadway World, Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Tamanini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic, and as always, I'm joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and resident holiday expert, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, how is your December Christmas countdown going? It's going pretty well. We only have 21 more days. So, you know, we're under the wire. All right, we'll get to that here in a second. But you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me on Twitter at BWWMatt, that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can read us both across various Broadway World sites, and you can now follow Some Like It Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Remember to tweet us what you think Jen and I will each pick as our favorite movies pre-1970 for our next list, Palooza. Not only can you get all episodes of something like a pop on broadwayworld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically into iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Also, if you don't hate us, rate and review the show so that Jen and I will have something in our stockings other than coal and bitter, bitter disappointment. On this episode, we're going to talk about our favorite and least favorite holiday pop culture traditions. We're also going to do a few quick movie reviews. And finally, we will wrap up the episode with a little show and tell. Now, Jen, I mentioned a minute ago. You have a tradition every December. You do some sort of holiday countdown, which will lead into our main discussion for this episode. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a background as to what it is you do beginning on December 1? Well, I don't think it's much of a secret that I have a little touch of OCD. I'm very adamant that the Christmas season is December 1st through December 25th, not a day earlier, not a day later. So with all the things that I really, really like and that I like to watch and listen to every year, I begin on December 1st and start a rotation to make sure I get everything in in time for Christmas because I refuse to do anything on December 26th and beyond or prior to December 1st. Okay, so we're going to talk about our favorites and least favorites, but are these like the TV specials, like Mm -hmm. things like uh, Frosty and Rudolph, and then also like Christmas movies like Love Actually, like what makes it into your list? Um, there's certain songs that I need to hear. Um, I try and go as long as I can to try and hear them on the radio or if not, if I'm desperate, then I'll listen to, you know, them on my phone. Um, (laughs) yeah, some Christmas specials. I don't like a lot of the traditional ones, which we'll get into, but I have really, really strange ones that I have to watch that you're going to roll your eyes and do your Matt thing that you do when I talk about them. I don't know what thing I do, but okay. All right, so let's start out, Jen. So what is on your, starting January 1st, what is the first thing this year that you either watched or listened to? Let's just start with my favorite Christmas song, because I have to hear it once a day, minimum, because I only listen to it in December. And it defies logic, because I hate the artist, like, with a passion. But for some reason, I love love this song and it actually ties into my favorite christmas movie so i'm sure you can figure out what it is well i was gonna guess the mariah carey all i want for christmas is you that is correct is it okay is that from a movie from love actually yeah okay that's actually what i was gonna guess but i i don't know the movie well so (laughs) good all right good Uh, 
Yeah, I have to hear it every day. Um, I don't know why it just puts me in the holiday spirit. I just think it's a fantastic Christmas song, which I just don't think there are a lot of, and especially one that's, you know, brand new in the last, what, 20, 30 years. So I listen to that every day. So December 1st, get in the car, ready to go to work. That has to come on the radio. Well, and also what's weird about that one is, is that it is so identified with Mariah Carey. You don't often get Christmas songs that are identified specifically with one artist and that are good. Like I heard a new version of that song by former American Idol artist Lauren Elena. And I was like, huh, that's a really bad version of that Mariah Carey song. So generally when you hear songs that are associated with a certain artist... I don't like them like that. Um, that terrible Beatles Christmas song, "Christmas Time Is Here Again." Is that what it's called? Uh, the the one I hate is by Paul McCartney. That's so what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the what? How does having a having a wonder, having oh, a wonderful, a wonderful Christmas, Christmas time. time? Yeah, that's it. Awful. Yeah, it's just terrible. It's, McCartney and Wings. Is it okay? I thought it was a um, I thought it was a Beatles song. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's just it's like literally two lines repeated over and over and over, and it's not good. But with Mariah Carey, that's actually a song that she birthed into the holiday uh, vernacular. And so, yeah, that's not a bad one. That's good. All right, good. For me, you know, you, you, you're you going to talk a lot more about the movies and you don't like the specials, apparently. Those are fine for me. But I always think of the holiday albums, the Christmas albums that I grew up listening to. Um, obviously, that Mariah Carey song. But to me, now especially that I live like you we grew up in the midwest where there was a lot of snow and it was cold and people were wearing sweaters now we live in places where it's probably perfectly acceptable to go out in shorts and t-shirts on on christmas so the thing that really gets me into the spirit as much as humanly possible in the warm weather is the music so what would be your if there's an album or a handful of albums maybe that the, that most signal the holidays for you well it shows my age <laughs> But it would definitely be the Barbara Streisand and or yes. the Neil Diamond Christmas album. Mm. Okay, yeah, the, the 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 I don't know that I've ever heard the Neil Diamond one, but the Barbara Streisand one is definitely one that we grew up with, and that her version of of Jingle Bells, so good. It's the only tolerable version of Jingle Bells, in my uh, opinion. In your opinion, yeah. Jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We're dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. Oh, what fun it is to sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. A day or two. It's so good, and that album's great. We we also grew up with the Carpenters Christmas. My mom is a huge Carpenters fan. Um, we also had, obviously, the Andy Williams is kind of a staple. We also did the John Denver and the Muppets album, um, as well as a little bit of the Chipmunks album when we were younger. Then as, as I started getting older, you start missing, mixing in things like Amy Grant and Harry Connick Jr., um, Boys to Men. Those kind of did as well. But to me, if I had to go with it, it would be Barbara the Carpenters and John Denver and the Muppets, because those are, those are the ones that were on heavy rotation for me. So as we get into the holiday season, which for me, I don't have the, the calendar uh, demarcation that you do, but as it gets closer, I'll start pumping those into iTunes so that I can feel like I'm in the spirit a little bit. 
also when I was in college, they started coming out with those um, a very special Christmas compilations where they would have, you know, um, pop artists either write new songs or do new versions of old songs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's kind of like the the Christmas version of Now That's Music. Correct, yeah. And I I had all of those, but there's one particular version of one song that I listen to every year. It's my favorite. It's Oh Holy Night by Tevin Campbell, who was a (laughs) (laughs) really – Prince discovered him when he was young, and then he became kind of a – a teen R&B singer and then kind of fall, fell from grace and no one knows where he is now. But it's a beautiful version of Oh Holy Night that I, I managed to squeeze in every year. All right. That's fair. I'll have to look that one up. Um, would not have thought we were going to get a Tevin Campbell reference into this episode, but whatever works. Um, okay. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Tevin Campbell, your first reference on a podcast in uh, uh, ever. So, all right. So that's that's kind of where we sit on music. Um, those I have f- two more music things that I have some? to mention. Oh, please just, do. Just uh, some little addendums, if you will. One, um, a very old Christmas song called Winter Wonderland is a particular favorite of mine because the writer of the song, Dick Smith, is from my hometown, and he oh. wrote it about my hometown. Which is, the, what's the name of the hometown again? Hometown is Honesdale, Pennsylvania, and wow. there's a giant cliff in the middle of the town, and he saw the view of the town uncovered in snow, um, and that's why he wrote Winter Wonderland. Little fun facts. So I'm particularly mm-hmm. attached to that. And then most recently, my newest favorite Christmas song is from our favorite TV show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Last year, she sang California Christmas Time. Being a New Yorker, her first year in California experiencing Christmas not in the snow, it just really hit home, if only for the line, we sit around and sing songs by Sublime. Um, <laughs> it's just a very accurate portrayal of Christmas in California. So I, I'm working that into the rotation as well. All right. Between a song that's old uh, and a classic to a song from a weird CW TV show. I think that's that accurately describes your pop culture uh, persona, Jen. That that fits perfectly. I think that's pretty on brand for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you mentioned let's. I think for a lot of people, when they think about the holidays, they think about the TV specials, whether they're the the Burl Ives stop animation ones or animated ones like uh, the Grinch or or maybe the Mickey's Christmas Carol. But these don't you. You hinted that these might not be the things that you really look forward to on the holidays with your Bah Humbug spirit. So where do you come down on these traditional family Christmas specials? I don't like a lot of them. They're good memories from childhood, you know, whatever. But I don't make a point to watch them anymore because there's so much other good content. The two, TV-wise, the one that I never miss is Santa Claus is Coming to Town because... We interrupt this Something Like a Pop holiday special to let you know that Jen Dunn screwed up. She didn't mean Santa Claus is coming to town. She meant the year without Santa Claus. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The Heat Miser is one of my favorite characters of all time. and um, Shocking. <laughs> I just really love that special. A more obscure one that they used to show back in the 90s, I don't think they show anymore, is called A Wish for Wings That Work which was based off of the Bloom County comic strip. And it was Opus the Penguin um, wishing to be able to fly for Christmas. So that was always one of my favorites, but it's harder to find now. 
Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Um, the Santa Claus is Coming to Town one, yeah, that played, but that was never one that was uh, a favorite in my, in, in my household. We always stuck to things like uh, like Rudolph uh, and, and Frosty. It got to the point where any time there was a birthday in our house, it was always, Happy Birthday! from from Frosty, so I gotta work that in as well. But I kind of go with those. I mean, there's also... Obviously, I, I'm surprised you didn't mention, mention the Grinch. I thought the Grinch would be very on brand for you uh, as well because it's kind of a combination of high and low art. But um, the Grinch is always a good one. The Disney things with the with Scrooge and stuff, I don't. It kind of was in there, but that's not one that I feel a special attachment to. Do you have a favorite version of of a Christmas Carol that you like? Scrooged is probably my favorite. Um, I always have to, you know, anything with Bill Murray, I will have to work that in every year. And then the other version, which is pretty cheesy, I'm going to save for my show and tell. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I would probably say that there is a, um, a TV musical movie that featured music by Lynn Aarons and Alan Menken based on their stage show. It starred Kelsey Grammer and had Jason Alexander and had a bunch of other people in it. It's not all that good. Um, well, I'll say I'll tell you it this way. It's not a great stage-to-screen adaptation, but I loved that one because it was kind of after I'd become a big theater fan, and it was very cool to kind of see a stage show adapted for the screen, which is something that's become much more commonplace now, but really wasn't back in the mid nineties when this happened. Kelsey Grammer played, played Scrooge and Jason Alexander played one of the, uh, one of the ghosts of Christmas past, present or future. I don't remember which one, but I have fond memories of getting really excited about seeing that one. Yeah. I don't know that at all. I, the only, the only musical version I remember was like a Vanessa Williams one. It was like, she played Ebby, or was it Susan Lucci? It might have been both. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But um, I don't know. I don't remember any of them. I think it was Susan Lucci, and she played Ebby. And, and Vanessa Williams. It, yeah, a Divas Christmas Carol yeah, stars. Yeah. <laughs> Rings a bell. That, that stars Vanessa Williams. And, and she's Kathy- a singer. Yes, she's an ego-driven superstar mm-hmm. who loses her holiday spirit. The Ghost of Christmas Past, played by Kathy Griffin, present and future, um, they visit her. Okay, remember that's that good. One. And then the other one and, was Susan Lucci. Well, I, of course, love <laughs> Susan Lucci uh, growing up as an All My Children fan. Pain, yeah. Yes, she played... Yes, that's very good. It was just called Ebby. Um, uh, it, it was a 1995 TV movie. Hmm. Um, it's a gender-reversed retelling of a Christmas tarol, carol. Um, yeah, she she owns a store. Let's see who else might have appeared in this of note. Absolutely nobody. No, it wasn't a hit. It was just one of those things. I thought, yeah, but normally you can find one person who's gone on to have something of a career. And uh, there is none. Not Absolutely no. none. Poor, Be- poor, poor Ebby poor Scrooge. Poor Erica Kane. Yeah, I think she's done okay with for herself. Um, well, before we move on from TV, I mean, I think we have to mention our favorite TV Christmas episode. Okay, go ahead. In, in Excelsis Deo? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've talked about this episode before, I believe. Yeah. In best episodes ever. That's from the West Wing. Kind of give a, give a recap of this one since you're better at that than I am. <laughs> it is uh, the Christmas 
episode from the first season of The West Wing, and there's a homeless man found in the park. He's wearing Toby's old jacket that he had donated, and Toby decides to investigate his death, finds out he's a veteran, decides to throw a, a state funeral for him. But there's a lot of other things going on in the episode, but the end of the episode will always get you when they're lining up in mm -hmm. the cemetery for the veteran's funeral at the same time as they're lining up in the White House to show how they serve the president. And they're all, it's just a very emotional, every time I watch it, I get choked up at the end. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, anytime you have anything from the West Wing around the holidays, it's going to be usually fairly heartfelt, even if it's involving the pardoning of turkeys. Um, but especially the ones that actually really usually get you on the West Wing are the ones where Toby decides to do something honorable. Because there's a few of those sprinkled in uh, throughout the run of the show, and they always really hit home. So uh, you got to love Richard Schiff. That's always a good one. And that line when um, the president says, now don't you think if you call in favors that every single veteran is going to come crawling out of the woodwork and ask for a, a funeral? And Toby replies with, I can only hope, sir. Oh, mm -hmm. kills me. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Mrs. Lundingham. The president would like to see you. I know. Did you use his name to arrange a military funeral for a homeless veteran? Yes. You shouldn't have done that, Toby. I know. You absolutely should not have done that. I know. Hi. Yes. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you, sir. Apparently, I've arranged for an honor guard for somebody. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. No, no. Just tell me, is there anything else I've arranged for? We're still in NATO, right? Yes, sir. What's going on? A homeless man died last night, a Korean War veteran who was wearing a coat I gave to the Goodwill. It had my card in it. Toby, you're not responsible. Took an hour and 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. A Lance Corporal, United States Marine Corps, 2nd of the 7th. I got better treatment in Pan Moon Young. Toby, if we start pulling strings like this, you don't think every homeless veteran will come out of the woodwork? I can only hope, sir. When is this thing? I'm going to pick up his brother and go there now. All right, good. That's a good one. All right, so let's move on to some movies. Um, I, have a I have a confession to make. I don't like A Christmas Story. Yeah, I know. You've uh, told me that before. I pretend I don't know that about you. Yeah, it's... I don't find it funny. Um, the only thing that I really like about it is the kid getting his tongue stuck on the on the metal pole. That's funny to me. Other than that, it's it's not my fave. The kid who Can grew up to be a porn star? <laughs> did he really? I didn't know did. that. <laughs> That's Schwartz, by the way. And yes, he did. All right. But I take it you like this, right? Oh, yeah. That's just a staple in our household. It's on 24 hours a day during Christmas. I mean... I think it's one of those things where you grew up with it or you didn't and you love it or you don't. And so you don't, I do. And that's really it. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that could probably get me to like it is the fact that Pasek and Paul wrote the musical version of it. Um, I haven't seen it, but I love Pasek and Paul. So if I'm going to see A Christmas Carol, I, it is much more likely that I'm going to watch it um, on stage than on screen. It's just, I think because it's, I mean, it, it's a, it's an 80s movie. It came out when I was like two years old, but it's set even further back in time it's set in probably the what the 60s is that probably right 50s 60s i think it's set in the 40s actually oh is it really because mm -hmm. he wins a uh, a contest on the radio from little orphan annie so it might be the 30s oh. or the 40s okay um that shocks me okay yeah and it's just not something that ever really 
struck me as being fun. But so that's that's different for you. What are what's a movie, a Christmas movie that you have to watch every year? Obviously, you mentioned Love Actually. That's your favorite. But Actually, is my favorite. It, yes, it's and that's one where you can kind of get kind of get into the debate about Love Actually and Die Hard. Both movies set around Christmas, but they're not really. I mean, it depends on how you define it. They're 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 around Christmas, so you can say they're Christmas movies, but they're not actually about the holiday of Christmas. Well, the entire last forty five minutes of Love Actually revolve around a Christmas concert, so I would argue with you on that. But I agree with you on Die Hard. Yeah, but with Love Actually, it's it's around a Christmas concert. It's not about the holiday of Christmas. They could have very easily made that a school concert or a graduation concert, and I don't know that it would have changed the plot or the emotions of the movie all that much. Obviously Christmas brings its own emotions with it, but it's, it's fine. To, I have no problem with people saying it's a, it's a Christmas movie, but I mean, it could have, they very easily could have changed it to any other time of year with very little effect on the story itself. Well, we can disagree on that. <laughs> okay. So why is this one your favorite? I love any kind of movie where there's interweaving storylines and characters that are, uh, intermixed, and you know their relationships aren't revealed to the audience right away. Plus, it's British, and I love the Brits. And it has—I mean, now it's a—it's a cast of stars: uh, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, my beloved, rest in peace, Colin Firth, and Liam Neeson. I mean, it's just ridiculous—the cast. And um, I watch it every year, probably the first before I get into you know the White Christmases and the Christmas vacations and all of the uh, other staples in my repertoire. Yeah, and there's even more, um, as you kind of go down that list of people, those are kind of the big names, but you've also got you know Hugh Grant and Kira Knightley, but then you start going down further to people who became stars later, like Chiwetel Ejiofor, Martin Freeman, uh, January Jones, Elisha Cuthbert, um, Shannon Elizabeth, who probably might have been a star already. You've got Billy Bob Thornton, Denise Richards, like it literally is a Grimes. cast of, what's that? Rick Grimes from Walking Dead. Uh, Oh, yeah, I don't know what that means. Um, but, yeah, there's just a time. I mean, it, Rowan Atkinson, who's a great British comedy star, anytime you could put him in something. Bill Nye, who's a Broadway star as well. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you need a flow chart to keep up with what's going on. But it really is a, a fun movie. And it kind of led to the the rise of these kind of interweaving stories, like you mentioned. Things like, what, Valentine's Day? What are some of the other ones like that? Um there was a was it New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, or Labor mm. uh, the um, Gary Marshall, yeah, playbook. He, yeah, he did that one. Uh, New Year's Eve and Mother's Day. He did one Mother's Day this year. Um, so yeah, big huge cast with over overriding storylines and stuff. But uh, yeah, so that's a good one. Okay, what else you got, Jen? Like I mentioned, Christmas Vacation, I usually try and save that for when I get to Pennsylvania because I like to watch that with my family. And White Christmas, of course, is nice to watch with my mom. Um, I'm also a big fan of The Holiday, which I know you'll roll your eyes at, but Mm -hmm. I love that movie. Um, That's actually one of my mom's favorites uh, recent years, too. That's the one with um, Jack Black and Kate Winslet. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and I also have managed, I don't know why, it just cracks me up. Uh, I managed to work in Harold and Kumar's Christmas movie every year just for the stupid. I need it. Okay. I mean, I can't <laughs> argue with Harold and Kumar. 
it's just worth it for the Neil Patrick Harris, David Burke scene. <laughs> That's one of the greatest scenes ever. So yeah. Um, Christmas vacation was always one. I, I think I've said before, I've never been somebody who rewatched movies a lot. My brother is like that to the point where he's probably seen the movie Avatar three dozen times. But Christmas Vacation was one that as a kid, he would watch that over and over again and Home Alone over and over again. So I've probably seen those two movies um, more than is, is is a fair amount to see them. Probably more Home Alone because that was probably more appropriate for um, our age group when we were watching these over and over again. But I don't feel the need necessarily to watch Home Alone all that often. But if Christmas Vacation is on... I'm probably going to tune in uh, because that's uh, it holds up. It holds up over the generations and over the decades. It is an absolutely fantastic comedy. And I don't know that any of the other vacation movies, in my opinion, are as good as that one. I think to me personally, that's the best of all of them. Me too. I mean, I just don't think it got any better than that. I really liked Vacation and European Vacation, and then I kind of lost interest after Christmas. But sure, yeah, yeah. I really do think Christmas is the best one. Yeah, that's not. I, I don't. I don't feel like there's a. Uh, I'm not putting down the other Vacation movies, but this one is just. Yeah, this one is definitely my favorite. I think it's as as strong as anything. So, Chevy Chase might be a little bit crazy at this point, but at least he gave us Christmas Vacation. At the very least. Yeah. And Three Amigas. I love me some Three oh, Amigas. Oh, yes, of course. All right. What else is on your list of things that you have to have? Um, I think we've pretty much covered my must-haves. I can tell you my must-avoids. Oh, yes. Please do. Uh, pretty much anything on Hallmark or Lifetime. My <laughs> my sister thinks that it, the best time of year is so she can watch her Christmas Hallmark movies. And I they are so abysmal and disgusting it literally makes me angry when she says it. Uh, the only time it's tolerable is when I'm home at Christmas and her sons, my wonderful nephews, sit with her and watch it and predict everything that's going to happen. And it just really gets <laughs> under her skin. But I just, they are so god awful. Oh my God, it's the same story told 75 times a day. And um, I avoid that like the plague. Um, there's a few songs that everyone loves that I just think are abysmal, like The Christmas Shoes. For God's sake. Oh, Lord. Give me a break. That's one where um, my friend uh, uh, Andrew Bradis, also known as Annoying Actor Friend, he's been on a crusade the last few weeks to undermine that song in every imaginable way because it really is just schlock and emotion. I don't know. It's kind of like the grief porn of, of Christmas songs. Yeah, it's horrible. It's just, ugh. And everyone's like, it's so sweet. I'm like, shut up. It is so stupid. Go sit with your dying mother and stop buying her shoes. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that one at all. I will put in a plug for a Hallmark Christmas movie. I haven't seen it, but somebody who is uh, that I know kind of through having worked in the Atlanta theater scene, an Atlanta playwright named Topher Payne has written a couple Hallmark movies, and his latest one is called Broadcasting Christmas. And stars former Superman Dean Cain and former Clarissa, who explained it all, Melissa Joan Hart. Apparently that's out there in the world. And he was tweeting the other night when it debuted. Apparently some girl was tweeting about it and she tweeted about how she was going to hate watch it. And then by the end, she tweeted about how much she loved it. And he responded to her throughout. So I don't know that she knew he wrote it, but um, just his kind of humor with dealing with that made me uh, probably not watch it because I... 
don't even know what the hell the Hallmark Channel is uh, on my cable system. But uh, if you like Hallmark movies, keep a keep a lookout for that because he is a theater guy at heart. What is it called? I'll tell my sister. She'll love it. All right. Broadcasting Christmas. Okay. It's a TV newscaster and an intrepid reporter with a romantic past find themselves competing for the same job as a co-host of America's most popular morning news talk program, Rise and Shine. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and, and, it's got Dean Cain. I love me some Dean Cain. <laughs> oh, God. All yeah. right. Anything else you have to avoid during the holidays, Jen? This latest uh, Pentatonix nightmare called Mary Did You Know? What a stupid song. I'm not, I'm not, I admit I'm not a huge acapella fan in general, but I have something acapella that I want to talk about, but why don't you tell me about why Pentatonix is awful in and of itself? I don't hate Pentatonix. They're very good at what they do, but everyone just needs to like take it down a notch. Like There's a million acapella groups, and they're very good, but everyone talks about them like they're the second coming. Relax. And then they put out this monstrosity called Mary Did You Know which is basically like a TMZ reporter interviewing Mary after she gave birth to Jesus like it's just a stupid song and everyone's playing it because it's new and they think it's something revolutionary and just over it I don't, I don't know this song I'm going to have to look it up oh it's awful maybe I'll play it underneath this section Mary did you know that your baby boy sight to Also, it will be in your head for the next two weeks. Like, just like that abysmal, uh, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Wonderful Christmas. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention, speaking of acapella, I'm glad you brought it up. I wanted to mention the Christmas special from Straight No Chaser. Are you familiar with them, Jen? I saw them live this summer because they opened for Weird Al. Uh, I, like I said, I don't love acapella, but I love Straight No Chaser. They have a Christmas DVD. What they are is they are, were an acapella group at Indiana University. They're about my age, so in their early to mid-30s. And a few years ago, five, six years ago, for some reason, a video of them doing a Christmas uh, 12 Days of Christmas song kind of went viral. And it prompted them to kind of get back together. It's like one of those whiff and poof things that continues to go on but this group specifically from the early 2000s got back together got a record deal and have been touring and doing a whole bunch of stuff they've done pbs specials and this 12 days of christmas is just so funny i'll put a video in the show notes because it really really is a fun addition to to christmas that's one of the reasons why i liked the john denver and the muppets christmas album because it was fun there's the songs you know but they add a little fun to it the 12 days of christmas ironically enough on that john denver muppets album is really really fun especially if you're a kid so I, i enjoyed that it was very kind of nostalgic for me even though it was something that's fairly new so i recommend the straight no chaser 12 Days of Christmas for you if you haven't seen that. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. On the fourth day of Christmas, the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five golden rings. 
Four calling birds and two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. On the ninth day of Christmas, on the eighth day of Christmas, my tribe made to me eight babies, made to seven, seven, made to six, six, made to five. You better not shout, you better not cry, you better not in a pear tree. On the ninth, on the eighth, on the seventh, the halls with a thousand holly. Here we come for us to sing among the lanes of five golden rings. Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, tumble boars, head in hand, bear I be decked with bays and partridge in a pear tree. On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love came to me. Eleven pipers piping down, lords a leaping down, ladies dancing down, maids and nothing, seven swans a swimming down, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and Rudolph the red nosed reindeer. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my I true love came to me. I made it out of clay, and when I'm trying ready, a dreidel I shall play. Oh, dreidel, dreidel. Also, check out Straight No Chaser's version of Creep by Radiohead. Best, okay. One of the best things I've ever heard. Alright. All right. Yeah, I have the I have their Christmas DVD, which is the whole Christmas show, and it's uh, got a lot of good stuff, so I, I would imagine that they do some other things really well, too. They're very entertaining. I saw them um, open for Weird Al, and they're, they're great live. I'm glad that we, ha- we can agree on that, Jen. Okay, relax. Move on. Alright. Do you have any other holiday stuff you want to get in here? The only other thing I, I hate is It's a Wonderful Life when they show it on NBC. I love the movie. I think it's a classic. But I don't understand why people tune in every year on NBC and watch it with commercials. It's on a multitude of different channels. You can buy it on DVD. And you're just going to ruin the moment when Harry Bailey walks in. I'm going to get choked up. Um, you're going to ruin that moment by a commercial break? Like, come on. Don't give NBC ratings. You can go out and buy the DVD. This is as much about your hatred for NBC as it is for the commercials, because it's on other networks with commercials as well, like TBS or TNT and stuff, too. Well, I do hate NBC because they're awful, but seriously, it's it's a classic movie. You know, drop the eight bucks and watch it on iTunes. <laughs> now the Grinch is coming out because we started with yeah, the love seriously. and we're ending with the hate. So that's not seriously. Um, one movie that I'm surprised you haven't mentioned, and it's one that I like. It's funny. Um, it's not one that I feel like I have to watch, but is is Elf? How do you how do you feel about Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel and Elf? Um, I I don't need to see it every year. I know that it's a lot of people's favorite. I love Will Ferrell. I'm not a huge Zoe Deschanel fan, um, even though I love New Girl, but it's more about the boys. Anyway, I if it's on, I watch it, but I, it's not in my like schedule to catch every year. Must see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I feel you there. I mean, I love me some Bob some Newhart. James I mean, Bob Newhart. Yeah, Bob Newhart and James Caan. Um, it's almost as much about them for me as it is because it's you know Will Ferrell's great, but essentially he plays a version of the same you know Peter Pan syndrome man child and everything. So it's just a a different version of that same character. But yeah, it's uh, I'm with you. It, it's good. I don't need to watch it, but if it's on, I, I won't avoid it. Same. I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. See? All right, now that we got you into the holiday spirit, another tradition that comes up at this time of year is the release of some fantastic movies, both 
that are looking for awards buzz heading into the end of the year into the Oscar seasons, but also things that are getting released that are hoping to capitalize on families who are looking for fun outings for the entire family and hoping to get some money from kids who aren't in school. Jen, we're going to talk about a few movies here. There's four movies that either both of us have seen or only one of us have seen. We're going to start off with one that is definitely, in my opinion, much more in the award bait category uh, than the other ones are, and that is the new movie Arrival. It's directed by Dennis Villanueva. He's directed a number of films, but very few in English. Some of his most recent ones that are in English are that... um, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Hugh Jackman movie Prisoners. He also did Sicario, which Jen and I both disliked um, more than we anticipated. He's also directing the upcoming Blade Runner sequel. So I went in with this knowing he did Sicario, um, a little unsure, because there really isn't a whole lot that is released about this movie ahead of time. We know it stars Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker, and it's about some sort of first contact with alien life as they come down from Earth. Now, we are going to talk around the central part of this movie as much as possible, but as we discuss it, Jen, I don't know that we can guarantee we're not going to spoil some things, so if you anticipate seeing Arrival at some point and don't want anything spoiled... I'll put the timestamps in the show notes so you can work around it. But I think Jen and I will try not to ruin it, but I don't know if that's actually possible. Is that fair, Jen? Yeah. Basically, in this movie, a number of alien spacecrafts have come down to Earth and are hovering across various sites around the world. There's one in the United, uh, in the United States, and the military goes out and tries to find uh, a few scientists to figure out how to make contact with them. The first person they talk to is Amy Adams' character, who is a linguist, and Jeremy Renner, who is a theoretical physicist. Forrest Whitaker is the military colonel, the the army colonel, who kind of oversees them. And they come in and they just do a lot of the basic work that you would try to do if you're trying to communicate with an alien life form that doesn't understand English. And not that they don't even understand English. They don't even communicate in the same way that we do both either in writing or in in auditory uh, ways. And I love, Jen, the fact that this movie really doesn't just skip over the, the work that has to be done for the communication to be established. They really work on saying this is how hard it would be. This is what they have to do. They go to the point where they effectively diagram sentences to try to explain why you can't just ask these questions because even if they understood English words, they would have so many different meanings. So I really appreciated the process that they went to to explain that rather than just saying, here's a real quick 30-second montage of us doing this work, and then all of a sudden we understand each other. Um, I think that kind of gets to what this movie is actually about. Eventually, they do find a way to communicate, and then you realize that the movie is much less about the aliens um, and the process to communicate than it actually is. Jen, we just briefly talked about how much we uh, we said we wanted to talk about this movie. I said we both liked it, but we didn't want to talk about it anything more than we had to before we got on air. So, what did you think of Arrival? Well, anytime you tell me that you love something, my immediate reaction is to find a way to hate it because, you know, we're adversarial. But Right. And you also, you know, talking about your state of mind, you did see it the day after the election and emotions were highs and you needed correct some form of therapy the way that I got the same thing from Hedwig. But I I thought it was beautiful. Like it was just so 
even two weeks after the election, it was just what you needed to see. It was that hope. It was that um, we have to move forward kind of, you know, feeling from it. And what you were saying about them putting the work in to communicate, I think it was also nice that they showed how they have to cater to the pressure of the immediacy that the world demands. Like, it could have taken them a few years to establish an actual relationship and communication, you know, with the arrival, but people want answers. There's no patience left in the world. Everything is at everyone's fingertips. If you want money, you go to an ATM. If you want food, someone brings it to your door. So telling people to wait for two years while you figure stuff out is not going to happen. So even though they were making a lot of progress, they had to shut it down. Um, And China was the first one, sorry, spoiler, to kind of say, (laughs) we kind of need to uh, step in and take action before they take action on us. For some reason, that's perceived as a a sign of strength instead of the patience in in actually learning about each other. And I think that that theme was the thing that spoke to me the most. Yeah, and and in the movie, it actually... What's interesting about it is the Chinese and the Americans and maybe a few others, I'm not exactly sure, they, they get a fairly um, similar message from the aliens at about the same time. And it's interesting that the the Chinese and maybe some others took a more adversarial response to that message that the aliens delivered to them, as opposed to Amy Adams and, and Jeremy Renner's characters who were preaching patience to try to fully understand what it means because there is so much confusion and there's so much uncertainty in that form of communication. Uh, like you said, I saw this the day after the election. I was clearly, I almost didn't go because Let's be honest, I was not in the mood to be entertained in any way, shape, or form after um, after that election. I just wanted to go in a corner and, and rock myself back and forth in the fetal position until I fell asleep. But you're right. This is exactly what I needed. It was optimistic. It was hopeful. It was about trying to understand differences on a very basic level. Those of us, Jen, that, um, that are fairly politically minded the people that are on the other side of the aisle we feel like there are these huge differences between us however when you look at the differences between the heptapods the aliens in the movie and humans there's a lot more differences between them uh between uh, liberals and conservatives so to to see them working through it was was inspiring but it also showed um and this is where we're going to might get into spoilers here that life is not just about the easy and the fun that sometimes part of all of the good stuff in life is going through hard times and going through pain and going through loss. And you can't necessarily have one without the other. Um, They might not always be at the same time, but if you're going to have the highs, you're going to have the lows and appreciating that and experiencing that and not trying to hide from that, I think is an important part of this movie as well and understanding it. Um, Jen, this is going to sound like a weird connection. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's kind of like, Interstellar or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. To me, the movie that this reminded me of the most, definitely a little during it, but even more so after the movie was over, is The King's Speech. And that seems like an odd connection between modern day first contact alien movie and a historically accurate movie about World War II era um, British monarchy. But both of these movies have to do with the profound powerful impact that communication can have on people and have between people, but also how difficult it is to get that right. So I left this feeling 
inspired and like you said optimistic and hopeful um but to me this is if this isn't in my if it's not my favorite movie of the year it's in the top two or three and i don't know if this is award bait enough for amy adams or for the movie in itself but i hope it wins a bunch of awards well i think and i'm trying to be not spoilery as possible but i think it's a really interesting um concept that not everyone caters to a linear timeline and Mm -hmm. it's so hard to take yourself out of linear that I think that they explore that really impressively, you know, to try and put yourself in the position where if you know how it ends, will you still do it? And I think every single person would answer that differently. So I thought that was really good. And as far as Amy Adams, I do hope she is recognized award season because if there's one thing I can say about her is that I've never seen anyone portray fear so well without any words. Um, She looked genuinely Hmm. terrified, but also she had to do her job and she was, her curiosity was outweighing her fear and all that was portrayed with no dialogue. I thought she was um, unbelievable. That was the first time I've really looked at her like, Oh, she's kind she's brilliant. Yeah, I, I think those are two really good points. For, first, you know, when you're talking about the, there is some element of her having flashbacks um, to a, an, a different part of her life um, with when a child is involved, and and that's kind of what I mean by taking a look at the bigger picture and things, and not just focusing on the immediacy of um, the good feelings and kind of appreciating the, the the valleys in life as well. But yeah, Amy Adams is. It's almost like she's so talented and so good at what she does that you almost forget how good she is. Whether it's in something like this or um, American Hustle or Enchanted. I mean, she kind of can do a little bit of everything and be sensational in it to the point when you're like, oh, yeah, Amy Adams is really great. But she doesn't have these standout roles because she so bleeds herself into the characters that she plays. Yeah, I can see that. She's just very natural. Um but because I understand what you're saying, because you're like, she's so good that people don't notice how good she is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you said it better than I did. So um, it, we are both giving this uh, two thumbs up. It's actually based on a short story called Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang. So I'm going to look up that book. Um, obviously, now that I've seen the movie, I know kind of what's going on in the story. But Jen, I also think this is one of those movies, like I said earlier, I don't tend to watch movies and, and things multiple times. This is one that I genuinely think you can appreciate it one way the first time you watch it and appreciate it in a completely different way on subsequent viewings. So this is one that I'm probably going to see a few times um, and maybe might even get the DVD or get it digitally because um, it's pretty brilliant. There are days that define your story beyond your life. Like the day they arrived. Colonel G.T. Webber from Army Intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call a UFO. Every 18 hours, a door opens up. That's where we go in. Happened. What happens now? 
they arrive. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Are you insane? All right, moving on to another movie that I've seen recently. This one Jen has not seen. Um, I wrote a review for Broadway World um, on this one, and this is the new Disney film uh, Moana. I've talked about it on today on Broadway, so I won't belabor this too much. But this is the newest Disney animated movie musical. Um, obviously, it features uh, songs and a performance by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which kind of surprises me why Jen hasn't seen it, but I know... She probably will at some point. It stars the voice talents of Ulai Carvalho and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Moana is the 16-year-old daughter of a Polynesian South Pacific tribe leader. And they live on an island and their entire tribe doesn't venture out past the barrier reef that protects their island. However, in very substantial and literal ways, the ocean has called to Moana since she was very young. And as her island starts to um, experience some forms of vegetation dying, not being able to catch fish, their coconuts spoil, um, she takes it upon herself to defy her father and venture out past the barrier reef to return an artifact to the mother island, Tafiti, that was originally stolen by the demigod Maui, who was played by the rock. She has to find Maui to get this artifact back to the mother goddess so that all of the islands can be restored. It's absolutely beautiful. Maybe it's because um, there's so much water in it, Jen, and it's weird. You don't see water depicted well in animation very often. Like, if you think of The Little Mermaid, most of it's underwater, so you don't really appreciate kind of the rise and falls of the ocean. But the, the pictures of these islands in the ocean is absolutely gorgeous. The, the music is very much... Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda infused. As I said in uh, my review on Today on Broadway, there are definitely inspirations from Hamilton, uh, from the Schuyler sisters, definitely um, strains of Nina from In the Heights, and even stuff from Bring It On the Musical with uh, Danielle and Campbell. You could hear those influences, that very familiar dense rhyme scheme and witty lyrics. The Rock, who I have been a fan of, for longer than is probably appropriate for me to mention, but ever since his days as Rocky Maivia um, and the Intercontinental Championship in the World Wrestling Federation when he was part of the Nation of Domination, he he's just fantastic. He's so much fun, and Ali'i Cravalo is um, an actual 16-year-old from Hawaii. Very rarely do we see Disney princesses actually played by age-appropriate actresses, so this is kind of cool. And Jen, what I what I did appreciate about this is is that this film does stick with a very tried and true tropes of Disney princess movies, even though she's technically not a princess. But there are other things that it vehemently avoids and even makes fun of a little bit. So I appreciated that this was a young woman who in some ways needed this, you know, male adult figure to kind of help her. But her success was not dependent on him. In fact, his success was dependent on her and it was much more her story than his and spoiler alert there's no real romance which i really appreciated as well so um i couldn't recommend this one more i think it very much holds up with uh the disney classic movie musicals i personally probably liked it better than frozen so this is definitely one that if you have kids would be a great one to take them to during the holiday season 
Yeah, I mean, I have every intention of seeing it. It was just, uh, just hasn't happened yet. You know, I d- will never doubt anything that Mr. Miranda does, <laughs> uh, especially drunk, drunk history. Just gotta plug that for a sec. Jen, another family-ish movie that you saw that I did not because I don't live in this world is a Fantastic Beasts and something or other that played. I don't remember the full title. Um, this is the new Harry Potter movie. What's that all about? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Sure. Okay, it's a prequel to the Harry Potter series. So this takes place in 1926, and it's about um, a guy named Newt Scamander, Scamander, whatever, and he comes to the U.S. Um, and you kind of get to a glimpse at the U.S.'s version of, of the wizardry world. And the basic plot is that he needs to get one of his fantastic beasts to Arizona to um, be in its natural habitat. But when he gets here, some escape, and it involves a, a muggle, or in the U.S. they call them non-mages. And that just results in a caper of trying to you know, recover the beasts as well as encounter um, a, a villain played by Ezra Miller, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is, it is so, it's just, it's so Harry Potter. And I um, love everything about that universe. (laughs) A few takeaways. I'm not sure what point it was when Colin Farrell became a great actor, (laughs) but I (laughs) hated him for so long. And now everything I see him in, I'm like, God, he's so good. So um, there's a huge spoiler at the end that I'm not going to reveal because it was, it was, it's probably out there now, but at the time I was floored at a, um, someone appearing in it. And the effects are unbelievable. I mean, just to see the progression from, you know, Harry Potter to now and the effects that they can do, it's amazing. I got to say, I think the weakest part was Eddie Redmayne. I think mm. for me lately, he's become very one note. I think he's very, very good at one thing. And that thing won him an Oscar, but I don't know how much. And, Redmayne- a, and a Tony. Yeah, I just don't know how much range he has. And he was very flat in this, surrounded by, you know, dynamic personalities like Ezra Miller and Colin Farrell. Um, He just, he kind of blended into the background for me. Oh, and Dan Vogel. Is that his name? From Spelling Bee? Vogel, yeah, from Spelling Bee. Oh, my God, this is his movie. He is the star. And um, he he just steals it from everybody. He's fantastic. So, yeah. it's, it's not your thing. I mean, I'm not going to say go see it because yeah. you won't like it, but uh, it obviously knows what it's doing. It's making, breaking all sorts of records and people are loving it, but I really thought it was great. Yeah, the, um, Dan Fogler, F-O-G-L-E-R, he played William Barfay in the original Broadway cast of 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. But yeah, it's, it's one of the, it's, again, it's like Breaking Bad. I have nothing against Harry Potter. It's just I didn't start at the beginning and it's just so daunting to try to catch up and 
get all of them. But another thing in the Harry Potter universe, it appears that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2 are going to be transferring to Broadway in the spring of 2018 to play the Ambassador Theater Group's Lyric Theater, um, where Cirque du Soleil's Paramore is currently housed. They will be vacating the premises in late April to get ready for renovations to bring Harry Potter in the following spring. So with it coming to Broadway, I, I might have to try to catch up and spend the 20 years catching up to uh, to eventually see it because there's a pretty good chance that Cursed Child is going to be playing on Broadway for decades and decades to come. You will have to because Cursed Child will mean nothing to you if you haven't uh, read the first seven books or seen the first seven movies. Great googly moogly. Okay. All right. The last movie that we, we want to review or I want to review is one that kind of fits in with the last ones we've talked about because between Moana uh, being a musical and having some content written by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Fantastic Beasts part of the Harry Potter world that is obviously coming to Broadway. La La Land is another one that has some very specific musical theater connections because it essentially is a musical. However, I loved Moana. Jin loved Fantastic Beasts. La La Land, not so much. I was so excited to see this movie. Um, it is by Damien Chazelle, who also wrote and directed Whiplash a few years ago, which um, won some Academy Awards, and I really enjoyed and I liked it. It stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, who I love um, together in Crazy Stupid Love, which I've mentioned before. Is a, I think it's a criminally underrecognized and underappreciated movie. And they've also been in Gangster Squad together, which I didn't see, but it reunites them for the third time in this film, which is marketed as a throwback to the golden age of traditional MGM movie musicals. It is a story about Mia, played by Emma Stone, who is a barista trying to make her way as an actress, and Ryan Gosling's character Sebastian, who is a kind of dive bar piano player who wants to be a serious jazz musician and open up his own jazz club. They meet, fall in love, and as their careers both take twists and turns and ebbs and flows, it kind of tears them apart a little bit. And whether or not you know, kind of the movie is whether or not they can find their way back together. I, I, to be honest with you, Jen, I was just so underwhelmed and unimpressed and disappointed by this movie. I, I'm shocked that it continues to get like rave reviews and is now the front runner to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Um, maybe it's because I am a theater person that I expected more. This is in no way, shape, or form anything even resembling the golden age of MGM musicals. Things like An American in Paris, uh, Singing in the Rain, um, Funny Face. I'll, I'll tell you, Jen, there's an opening number, which is fantastic. There's a sequence that's pretty much the end. It's not the very end, but it's pretty close to the end. That is also fantastic. Those are very reminiscent of these classic musicals. In fact, the the one at the end is very much an homage to some of those movies I mentioned, Singing in the Rain, um, An American in Paris. There's a, there's a, a set that looks almost identical to the classic Sid Charisse scene in Funny Face. But the movie that comes in between, though it has a few songs mixed in, it is the exact opposite of those songs, where those songs, along with those classic musicals, have the optimism that we maybe mentioned with something like Arrival. They had the buoyancy and the, the, the happiness. The movie in the middle is much more like Whiplash, where there is a cynicism to it. And those the, the, the book-ending musical numbers don't go well with what's in between. And it was very disappointing. I liked what was in between. I liked what was on the bookends. But they didn't go together. It did not feel like a cohesive piece. And because of that, 
it was frustrating and underwhelming to me. I think there's a moment in that central part where you realize, oh, okay, there is a little bit more depth to this than you realize moving on. Um, I, again, I don't want to spoil it, but for most of the movie, Emma Stone doesn't seem to be vocally prepared for the part. She's very breathy and very, it seems to be out of her vocal range. And then at one point later, you realize that that was very much a directorial choice. And when she's able to find her own voice and to find her own confidence, she belts the shit out of a song. And you're like, oh, okay, that's pretty magical. I got goosebumps, got tears in my eyes. But that's really the only part where I felt like it lived up to the expectations that I had for it. So I was disappointed. I wish it nothing but the best because I love everyone involved. Pasek and Paul, who I mentioned earlier, wrote some of the lyrics to the songs um, that are featured. But it was, I expected a lot from it and, and didn't get it, Jen. I have a feeling I'm going to love this movie, and then I'm going to have to hear you bitch for the next four months about all the awards it's winning. I, I have no problem. Look, I have nothing against the movie. To be honest with you, if 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 Damien Chazelle had just produced the movie that's in the middle of these two big tentpole musical numbers at the beginning and the end, I probably would have liked it a lot more. Or if the entire movie had been in the spirit of those numbers, I, I think I would have appreciated it. But th- th- those things are so different and dichotomous that it was jarring and the opening number is so bright and fun and and impressive that when you start to get into the rest of the movie and you're like okay so it's never going back to that it's it's a huge letdown for me and there's some great co-stars in the movie john legend jk simmons who won an oscar for whiplash um, finn whitrock tom everett scott shows up But to be honest with you, they are so underused. I'm shocked they got people of actual names to do those roles. So I hope you like it because I wanted this to be a great movie. I I wanted to love this movie. Whether or not it's a great movie is probably not for for me to say. But I wanted to love this movie. So I'm not going to begrudge anyone who likes it. I just felt like it was two movies smushed together that never congealed. Well, I'll report back. I felt it from the first embrace I shared with you That now our dreams may finally come true City of stars, just one thing everybody wants Screen of the crowded restaurant. <laughs> it's love. Yes, all we're looking for is love from someone. All right, per the usual, we're going to close out this episode of Some Like It Pop with Show and Tell, where Jen and I auditorially show you something and then tell you why it's important. Jen, uh, why don't you go first since you've already kind of mentioned the connection to something that is, is in your show and tell? Why don't you lead us off? I am going to talk about my favorite version of Christmas Carol, and it is a very cheesy cartoon called Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. (laughs) And (laughs) this version has been in my family all my life because of one particular song that we all sing like idiots when it comes on. So I just wanted to play a little snippet from that song, and it's called The Lord's Bright Blessing. But it's also subtitled Razzleberry Dressing, which is just nothing says Christmas to me more than the sound of the words Razzleberry Dressing (laughs) being sung by my brothers. Will we have a gander and some 
definitely something jen yeah it's 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 a really old cartoon mr magoo is voiced by um the dude from uh gilligan's island what's his name oh jim mr howell oh thurston howell the third yes um the hit that is um jim backus jim backus mr magoo and it's uh a version of the Christmas Carol, and it's really, really bad animation and really, really bad music. And my God, I love every second of it. That is so not what I was expecting. <laughs> I know. I'm full of surprises. Yeah, full of something. But yes, you are absolutely right. Yes. Um, also, David, Sean, and Patrick Cassidy's father was, was in that way. Jack Cassidy, he played Bob Cratchit. Ah, Jack Cassidy, yes. Yeah. He burned himself to death in an apartment building in Hollywood. I know that because I was just on the Dearly Departed tour last weekend, and That's I saw the sight of his death. Yeah, he's Shirley Jones's ex-husband um, yes. as well. So, All right, Tony winner for uh, She Loves Me. So, uh, um, Speaking of which, I saw the She Loves Me cinema screening or whatever they call it from the roundabout theater company's revival of She Loves Me from this past summer. I had mentioned on Broadway Radio at the time that I did not like the Broadway HD live stream of it, but fortunately the one they showed in movie theaters was much better edited and the film quality was much better. So I absolutely loved it. Of course, I love Laura Benanti and Zachary Levi and uh, Jane Krakowski and, and Gavin Creel. So um, I was glad that I was uh, really appreciative of that. So I hope that Broadway HD is able to do more of these and, and recent broad, bring in recent Broadway shows uh, to the movie theaters. But that is not my show and tell. For my show and tell, I'm going to go with a podcast called The Bright Sessions. I just recently started listening to it based off of an article from Vox.com from, I think, Todd Vanderwoof. Um, and uh, it's really, really fascinating. Jen, I know you don't like you don't like narrative podcasts. You're more into comedy and, and chat and news podcasts. But what this one is, is it is the notes of therapy sessions from a psychiatrist or therapist. I don't know the difference. Um, and her name is Dr. Bright. And she specializes in patients with unique supernatural abilities. It's very much based in the real world beyond the supernatural stuff, but they're not superheroes or anything. They're just people who one's an empath who can really feel other people's um, emotions. One is uh, someone who at first she thinks angels are talking to her, but it actually turns out she can hear other people's thoughts. One is someone who without her control can leap into other points in, in the past. She's a time traveler, but she has no control over it. Um, the sessions are really interesting because they are very much self-contained. They are character development. They break down these characters through events that happen in their life that make complete sense. It is very much a character study in all the best ways. They've released 29 episodes, like full episodes, plus a bunch of other like mini episodes. I am through... 
I'm up to episode 16 with a couple other mini episodes in there, so I'm only about halfway through, but they're starting to build a larger world and introduce other characters. Um, there's a bigger kind of backstory going on with Dr. Bright, and there's another character who's kind of in the vein of David Tennant's Kilgrave or the Purple Man from the comics, from the Daredevil comics, but uh, the character that David Tennant played in the Jessica Jones first season. Um, it's really, really fascinating. It's great. What's great about it is the episodes are only about 15-ish minutes. Sometimes you get them a, a little shorter on some of these like uh, mini episodes, but they're not usually much longer than that, so you can get through a lot of them, and they are, are really, really cool. So take a listen. What did you, what did you mean by it? I mean, why put a listing in the paper for therapy in the first place? It seems a, a little weird. I've learned that some people have problems that aren't exactly found in psychology textbooks. And a lot of those people don't know where to turn for help. That's where I come in. What do you mean? What, what kinds of problems? I'm afraid I can't discuss any of my past or present patients. Right, right, of course you can't. I'm sorry. It's just... I think I might qualify for that. For the... The strange and unusual. Oh? Why do you say that? Here's the thing. Ever since I was a kid, I've been able to to do this... This thing that, for all intents and purposes, should not be possible. Essentially, unbelievably... I can time travel. All right, so that is The Bright Sessions. The show is written and directed by Lauren Shippen. She is also one of the actors in the show. Dr. Bright is played by Julia Morizawa. It's it's a really great listen, so check out The Bright Sessions on iTunes, Stitcher, thebrightsessions.com, anywhere else you get your podcasts. All right, that's all we've got. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World, Sound Like a Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Sound Like a Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and rate and review us, please, and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the show's movies, topics, and holiday traditions that we discussed this week. And if you need more of me and your ear holes, check out today on Broadway from Broadway Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or BroadwayRadio.com. We will be back sometime soon with our next list of Palooza, where Jen and I count down our favorite movies pre-1970. So until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world. This is a movie directed by Dennis Villeneuve. I looked up how to say this earlier, and I can't remember. What just happened?